lifestyle choices and environmental factors impact your brain health and the physiology and psychology of your mental health. When you're ready to turn your brain on to get your game on, listen to In Your Head Radio. Now here's your host, Lee Richardson. So thanks for being with us today. We've got a really interesting show today. I've got Dr. Hart. She's a PhD biochemist. And from a very young age, she wanted to be a scientist. She grew up in Bristol, England, and she studied biochemistry at Warwick University in England and went on to obtain her PhD in endocrinology and pituitary function when she was 24. That's an amazing feat to accomplish by the time you're 24. She has a passion for science and helping people improve their health, and this has led her through her whole career. Our York Test Laboratories is a business that's totally unique, and they pioneered the first IgG-based food sensitivity test in the 1990s and are very proud to say that they've now tested over a half a million people. And they're one of the only companies that publish efficacy data about the effectiveness of the food IgG test and the difference it makes to people's lives. Dr. Hart, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Lee. Thank you for inviting me. Well, you know, it's to me, this is a subject that is very much on everybody's mind. We've, gosh, it seems like in the last 10 years, we've become so conscious about what we eat and, and what we have allergies to and gluten and food dyes and just so many things that really can, may not impact me, but they can certainly have a big impact on, on somebody else. So are you finding that food allergies and intolerances have become more and more common over the years? Yes, I, th- I think you're absolutely right. I think, I mean, I've been with um, the company York Test for 18 years. Um, and when I joined uh, York Test, our, our test was relatively new and people weren't talking about allergies and intolerances and food sensitivities in the way they do now. Um, I think that, you know, people, uh, there's, there's two elements to it, really. I think one is that because there's more awareness of the impact of, of food intolerances, people probably like our grandparents don't, they don't suffer in silence anymore. They, they you know, they share and talk about, you know, what's going on for them. But also I think the way that we eat has changed so much in the last, you know, in the last decades. Um, you know, the, the amount of processed food, the the way we eat on the hoof, you know, with fast food, the way that, uh, you know, we, we eat quickly <laughs> and not always as healthily as we could do, um, you know, does impact because, you know, the gut, our gut is a really sensitive organ and it's a very important part of what makes us, you know, us and, the, you know, the links between the gut and the brain are so important too that uh, anything that impacts our gut can, can impact the whole of us. Well, you know, it's interesting because they say that the gut is the second brain. Mm. And certainly that's where our neurotransmitters come from, the chemical synapses in the brain. But you make such a good point. You know, I, I just am so curious, wondering when did the fast, the first fast food restaurant come into play? But it wasn't 50 years ago we didn't have them, did we? Well, I, I don't know, but 
you know, it's certainly it's certainly not something that we talked about as, you know, as a, as a child in the 60s. You know, we didn't certainly didn't. We, we hardly went out to restaurants, let alone have fast food. So, you know, I think things have changed such a lot in the way that we eat foods and the types of foods we eat as well, because um, there are so many m more complex ingredients and additives that are put into foods now. Um, and all of these don't necessarily, uh, are, you know, aren't, the, you know, causing food intolerance directly, but indirectly, they're impacting the gut. And in turn, the gut is then becoming, you know, more permeable. Uh, you know, leaky gut is something that was never talked about even, even 20 years ago. And when we think about leaky gut now, we think about those larger food molecules, proteins, um, not being broken down properly, but in, you know, are suddenly um, coming through into the bloodstream and, and impacting your immune system, and your body going, "Eek! Oh, what's going on here? <laughs> I don't like this. Um, I'm going to react to it." And and those reactions can be, you know, it come through in different ways. And uh, you know, food allergies, intolerances, sensitivities are very complex, and and take different forms. Well, what makes people suspicious that they would have a food allergy or a food intolerance? Because, I mean, mm -hmm. do, do they develop them over time? Are they born with them? Yeah, I, I, I don't think we're born with them. But I think what happens is as soon as we start getting bombarded with, with you know, the foods we eat, the environment we're in, then that can potentially cause the body to, to react. And... The reactions are very different um, when we think about allergies, for example, true allergies are um, that immediate reaction, that severe reaction that, um, you know, is potentially life threatening um, and requires medical intervention. And when we're talking about food allergies, I mean, food allergies affect about 32 million people in the US and, um, you know, and there are nine main foods that cause, cause food allergy reactions. And we'll talk about food intolerances in a minute. But the food allergy reactions, and they are milk, soy, eggs, wheat, peanuts, tree nuts, uh, fish and shellfish, but also sesame is a rising food allergy. And it's estimated that there's about a million people in, in the United States with, uh, with sesame allergy now. So, so um, I think, you know, allergies often develop in, in childhood. Um, sometimes you can grow out of them, but once you have an allergy into adulthood, that tends to be for life. And it's it's very severe. Um, and uh, it always involves an antibody type IgE. So an allergy is linked to an IgE antibody. Um, yeah. Well, and it's not just foods. I mean, some people mm -hmm. can have sensitivities around something like coffee, correct? Yeah, that's right. I mean, certainly when we, when it comes to food intolerances, um, food intolerances are very different. And, and at York Test, we measure the IgG antibody as opposed to the IgE antibody for allergy. And the IgG antibody is another antibody that is raised when, you know, the gut is impacted, when your body's impacted and it, and it find something that uh, it doesn't like and it starts to react against it and, and that IgG antibody is linked to inflammation in the body causing symptoms. 
So um, and any any food, actually, any food that's got, a, you know, some proteins in it or some larger molecules that have the capability of forming an antibody have the potential to cause a food sensitivity or food intolerance. I always think about an antibody as being like a claw. It needs, it needs something to grab hold of. So it's not going to be your small molecules that cause your intolerances or sensitivities. It's going to be a larger molecule. And, and coffee is made up of about 13% of proteins. So it can be something, you know, as, as wide ranging as, as, as coffee. And at York Test, we actually, um, we actually um, measure, you know, we actually uh, measure IgG reactions from a huge range of foods. So uh, we, we measure over, over 200 different food and drink ingredients. And we've, um, you know, we gather, we've gathered a lot of data over the years. And I think the, the coffee one stood out for me recently when we analysed our statistics because we we're finding that about seven and a half percent of the population, you know, that come to a York test for testing have um, have shown, you know, a coffee, coffee sensitivity, which was quite a large amount actually when I when I looked at the data. Um, Obviously, there's there's different things in coffee. There's, there's the, you know the reaction that we're measuring, the IgG reaction, and of course there's caffeine as well, which you know caffeine's a small molecule um, which can cause a caffeine sensitivity and, and different sorts of symptoms. Well, we put so many different things in coffee now. It's mm. you know it used to be milk or cream and sugar, mm. and now there's all these flavored vanilla. Mm. Carmel macchiato. I mean, there are just so <laughs> many different things that you can put in it. And yeah. are those usually, is it the additives that usually produce the sensitivity or is it actually the coffee? Well, I think it's, it can be um, an element of both. Certainly what we've measured in our test is actually coffee specific. Um, but we know that people do react, you know, strongly to things like milk to um you know to other other um ingredients many other ingredients wide ranging a lot of people react to things that they think as being healthy things like fruits and vegetables pulses lentils but also the main culprits of you know cow's milk eggs um and uh, yeast as well gluten and and wheat so there's quite a wide range um, but you're right, people are, are adding all sorts of things to their coffees now. And um, it's only by doing a test um, that you can actually see what um, what your IgG levels are measuring for each of these different foods and then actually see which ones are high and which ones you might want to think about moving, removing if you've got the symptoms of a food sensitivity. Well, I think, you know, that sometimes people don't stop and think about whether or not they're having a reaction to what they're eating. You know, it's spring. It's the first day of spring. It must be what's in the air. It must be. How do you help people to, I mean, besides the test, how do you help people to become aware of what their red flags are for a food allergy? Yeah. So for the, the food allergy, which is the, you know, the IgE reaction, um, you know, you've got that immediate reaction where you might have a tingling in your mouth, a swelling in your throat, being violently sick. And that that's the one that needs medical attention because you could have anaphylaxis and potentially it can be potentially fatal. 
for food intolerances and sensitivities, the reactions are much more ongoing and much more chronic. So typically things like irritable bowel syndrome, things that go on and on for people for a long time that often people don't get the help with that they they might um, would like. Things like migraines and headaches. Um, also things like low energy and low mood, things like anxiety uh, and skin problems too, skin rashes, uh, psoriasis and, uh, and, and weight changes. So there can be an awful lot more going on with food sensitivities and food intolerances than, than with allergies. And I think, you know, it, it's an awareness of the fact that actually being, you know, having this fatigue or irritable bowel isn't normal. And a lot of people normalise it. They, they, um, they think, oh, it's just normal for me. It's my hectic life or, you know, it's, uh, you know, I'm tired because I'm busy. But actually it could be a food intolerance and it could be that actually a slight change to your diet could make a lot of difference in your energy levels. Well, people that that eat out predominantly, they're eating processed foods. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have so many different variables that you're bringing into your gut. How do you figure that out? Yes, I I've, I've remember reading somewhere years ago that, I mean, the additives even in things like bread um, contain, you know, contain things that almost like detergents I mean I may have got it wrong but it, it you know things that are these these things that are put in to to enable the bread to stay longer on the shelves um and you know these additives that are put in um obviously that those things like that are going to impact your gut because if you think about the the very sensitive lining of your gut um I always talk about it as if you you know the surface area of your gut if you stretch it out is like the size of a tennis court not a very nice thought but it's you know it's um and and it's a quarter of a thickness of a piece of paper thick so it, you know it's really sensitive and to suddenly start adding in things that aren't really foods they're they're not really the natural foods that we were born to eat um and the impact that can have on not only the gut lining itself but also the gut bacteria and that that's absolutely critical because you know, we we house in our guts uh, about two kilograms of gut bacteria, you know, 100 trillion microbes. And these are all working with us beautifully to ensure that we keep healthy. And anything that impacts them as much as, you know, impacting us directly in the foods we eat it can shift that balance so quickly um, with with 70 percent of our immune system in our gut as well. That immediately comes down to, you know, shifting the balance um, in our gut and um, impacting our immune system. And that's where we, you know, we suddenly start to react to foods, normal natural foods, even foods like coffee, um, and start to react to them. And they, you know, trigger, start to trigger inflammation. And it's only by giving yourself a break from those foods, um, taking them from your diet, and um, giving yourself a really good break and then starting to protect your gut uh, that, that you can actually start to sort of heal again, really. So, I mean, I remember a long time ago, maybe 20 years ago, a book came out that said how to eat for your blood type. Mm. Does 
Is that something that has come into consideration in the research that you've done or seen? Yeah, it, it's really interesting. Um, I think, you know, I've, I've read a lot about it. I've, I've found it hard to believe to start with, actually, because as a biochemist, I was I'm much more um, mindful of the, you know, the, the sort of gut in general for everybody, regardless of the blood type. But I think it's an interesting concept and um, I'm sure that, um, you know, the genetics were all different, uh, different blood types with different genetic uh, makeup. And I'm, I'm sure that um, that there is something in there that uh, that rings true, but I, I haven't gone into it in, in a lot of detail, to be fair. I was just curious because I can remember, you know, reading that and thinking and thinking oh, that's that's just a different way to look at it. And growing mm -hmm. up, my mom always said, you are what you eat. And I hated that. I hated hearing that. I but I'm, <laughs> but I'm, I'm becoming more convinced that she was right. Mm -hmm. I, I, I totally agree. I, th I think that you are exactly what you eat. And I think that sadly, um, I think that that message is forgotten somewhere, lost somewhere for a lot of people um, whose busy lives take over. And it's, it's you know, it's it's sort of bringing us back to remind ourselves of the way we evolved, really, to eat naturally, to eat uh, in in ways that um, we no longer eat and, and the complexity of what we put into our bodies now. Um, it's almost not surprising really going back to your very original question that that uh, allergies and intolerances are becoming more and more common and and I think if actually by doing a test I think we find this a lot actually we find this um you know people actually it helps people stop and think about what they're eating um and if we say to someone actually you're really reacting we we, we score our reactions for each food on a score of naught to 100 and anything over 20 you kind of want to be looking at really and you know we see people with really high scores of you know maybe a cow's milk in 80 or you know soy or lentils or something really high and it just helps people to stop and think and think actually that's that's really high for me that's that's going on in my body and it helps them look at their whole diet not just about those particular foods and reevaluate where they are. So I think that's part of the education and part of what, what Yorkist has stood for really over the last, well, Yorkist has been going for 40 years, but we've uh, um, been offering this food IgG test since 1998. And we've had so much positive feedback in our, you know, anecdotally and also in the research that we've done. So let's talk about the test, because I know a lot of times people, they're hesitant to take a test, you know, because once you know you have a problem, then you have to deal with it. <laughs> and it's it's easier to ignore when you don't know it. So do you, how complex is the test? I mean, is it something you have to prepare for for a week? Is it something you can just pop in and do? Yeah, so... We've made it really easy, actually. Um, so back in 1998, um, with scientists from the University of York, we developed the, the test, which is a laboratory test. So it's something that is quite complex. It's a hospital standard test uh, that involves an immunoassay, an enzyme-linked immunoassay, or an ELISA, as we call it. 
Um, and we actually we actually manufacture the tests ourselves. We develop them ourselves, and we've been doing that since 1998. We do all the testing in our laboratory. Uh, but at the same time, in, in 1998, we also developed a really unique um, blood collection system. It's like a little stick or baton um, that we actually put into a blood collection kit that we post out to people. Um, and so we actually post that into their own home. They can, uh, we provide a sterile lancet, um, full instructions and everything you need to, to prick your finger. And literally a couple of drops are just absorbed onto this little tiny polyester button, um, fill it up and then pop it back. And that's all really clean and easy to do. Um, pop it back in to the post and um, that comes back in to eventually to our laboratory. Now, the, we did a lot of um, validation work back in the early days because luckily food IgG antibodies are really, really stable. And when we collect them in this way, we can actually put them, uh, you know, post them and they've got a stability for 30 days. So we can actually then bring them back into our laboratory, the samples. Um, we can use our, we've got a, a fantastic team of uh, really expert scientists and they uh, conduct the test, do all the quality controls, um, review all the data uh, before the results are released back. Um, and so it makes it really easy for somebody to do do in, in their own home and, uh, and get that information back, back to them. Well, that's nice. That's great to know that you can do it in the privacy of your own home, because that's that's reassuring to a lot of people that, you know, you're more, I'm much more comfortable in my home than I would be in a restroom outside of a, a medical facility. It is. And I think it's a really personal thing as well, because people, you know, they, they have got busy lives and they don't want to be thinking about a, you know, a clinic appointment and then maybe a full blood draw of blood and you, you don't know whether your veins are going to be okay that day and whether, you know, and it's, it's, it just could be disruptive and quite stressful. And, and this is, I mean, we, sometimes I know um, my, my colleagues sometimes say, oh, I, I get my, my partner to <laughs> break my finger, you know, use the lancet. And uh, yeah, my husband, when we've done the test on him, he's like, oh, can you do it for me? <laughs> so it's something that you can sort of talk about at home and just keep it there. Um, and then, you know, uh, post the blood sample, knowing that it's all secure and safe and, you know, clean uh, back to the laboratory. And then we've got a, um, a very, well, a, a totally secure um, wellness hub. So you've got your own login and login to, to our wellness hub. So we notify people when the results are ready and um, we notify people when the results are ready and then you know the results come back into their own secure login to have a look at and we we as i mentioned we scale the results from from naught to 100 so for each of the foods each of the 200 foods or uh, 100 foods if it's for a junior for a, um, age 2 to 17 we score them on from naught to 100 um, and those that are above 20, um, we we call high reactivity because we know from our many years of experience that they've got high IgG levels. Um, and then we can advise people then on uh, on starting to remove 
those high level foods from the diet um, and replacing them with something equally nutritious, of course. And uh, and then, you know, uh, you know, supporting people with uh, changing the diet and helping people to feel better. What's the hardest thing that you've seen people do, you know, when they get the results? What is the hardest thing for them to do? Is it to change? Because sometimes changing your diet means changing your lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And it impacts other people in your family. So what what have you had the most, the feedback that is the most difficult? I, th- I think particularly when there's families involved and different people in the house are diff- eating different things. I also think that um, when um, when you're going out with friends and you, or you're going out, you know, to friends for dinner or something and you, you don't want to feel awkward, you think, oh, gosh, I, you know, I've, I've got to tell them I can't have yeast and that means I can't have this or that or uh, or cow's milk or eggs. And, you know, they might be cooking something really lovely for us all and I can't eat it. And what do I say? And and I think it's encouraging people to sort of openly share what's going on for them with their friends and family and, and help, you know, helping their friends and family support them with it as well, because it can be really difficult. Um, for the people um, to sort of to, to try and have a normal social life and still take things out of the diet. Um, but, you know, the more I talk to people here, the more I've talked to people that have used the test as well, if they're supported within that, um, you know, by, by, by us as a company, but also by their friends and family, that makes it a lot, lot easier. And I think going out to restaurants now, there is so much more emphasis um, on you know allergies and intolerances it's talked about you're asked if you've got any allergies and intolerances much more readily and I think that is just a, a fantastic shift change actually uh, over the last 10-20 years is, is that um, you, you know things are ingredients are much more clearly um, outlined when you go out to eat and when you you know you look at your labels your food labels when you're doing your shopping you can see what allergens are in there what might be a problem for you and take that out of your diet. Well, you know, I have friends that don't even go out to eat anymore. They yeah. feel they feel like mm-hmm. that the food is just and and granted I don't have very many of them. I have two, but mm-hmm. they just feel like that what they're eating is is so unhealthy. Mm-hmm. And they cook but at the same time they cook all their own food. They mm-hmm. don't buy prepared food. They don't they don't use processed food. And I I really do a good job at staying away from processed food. Yeah, but but <laughs> that's, you know, and I'm sure our listeners are going, yeah, me too. But it gets difficult. Well, we're going to take a break. And, and I encourage our listeners to stay with us because there is so much more to talk about with food intolerances. And there's so much more to learn and and. You know, everybody thinks that they know what they're allergic to and know how to stay away from it, but it doesn't always work that way. And I'm sure you have a lot more you can share with us. Thank you. We'll be back after these messages.
It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Many of us look forward to the holidays all year long. It is such a magnificent opportunity to get together with family and friends and decorate and give gifts and eat the most delicious food. But numerous people dread the holidays. As far as their weight, health, and exercise are concerned, they know they'll have so much temptation and chances to derail their healthy lifestyle. Many just resolve themselves into thinking that gaining weight over the holidays is a fact and there is no way to avoid it. But it doesn't have to be that way. I want you to embrace the holidays. Have a plan before you go to any dinner, party, or event and decide what you're going to eat and stick with it. Yes, there will be temptation, but you can overcome it. Stay with the plan and reap the benefits. You can contact us at fitnessminute at annettehammond.com. I woke up this morning only to discover I was all out of coffee. Big miscabobble. Without my morning cup of joe, I get a bad case of the molly grubs. So what can you do when you run out of coffee? Well, a one-ounce milk chocolate bar has six milligrams of caffeine. Thank goodness for leftover Halloween candy. Did you know apples are more efficient than caffeine in keeping people awake in the morning? Acorns were used as a coffee substitute during the American Civil War. I was feeling so brickety, I drove down to the local coffee shop. As I was getting out of the car, I realized I was still in my pajamas. Thank goodness for drive through coffee. What's the word for the cardboard holder they put around your coffee cup so it's not too hot to hold? A zarf. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. We're back. Now here's your host, Lee Richardson. So thanks for staying with us over the break. Over the break, you know, I was thinking, I wonder what percent of the population has a food allergy or has a food intolerance? And Dr. Hart, what would your guess be? Yeah, that, that's a really interesting question. You know, I've, I've trawled the statistics for many, many years on this. And, uh, you know, the, the closest I've got is that I think Food sensitivities and intolerances and related diseases are, are estimated to affect about 100 million people worldwide. But I think when you come to sort of country specific, whether it's the UK or the US, um, the prevalence is believed to be, as you know, about 45 percent of the population. It's, it's interesting, though, because I quite often give talks and I always say to the audience, you know, what do you think? You know, what do you think the percentage is? of people with food intolerances and sensitivities and uh, I've got my 45% ready to show them on the on the slides but they always say higher they always say 60 guess 60 70% and uh, it makes me think actually when you think about your friends and family or people that you know in your social group how many people are avoiding something um, you know particularly now I think I think the levels, you know, could be as high as that, really. I think the true, you know, the true prevalence, though, is is unknown. And I think we could do with some good uh, statistics collecting. But from a point of view of what we see at York Test, uh, I would say about uh, 45, 50 percent of people have got um, some reactions going on for them. And that 
you know, that knowing that actually means that those people have got the opportunity to to slightly change the diet and actually make quite a big difference to their lives. What, when you see people that are taking a, things like Tums or Rolaids or digestive enzymes, does that indicate that they're, if they're taking them all the time, is that an indication that there's some type of intolerance? Yes, I think I think digestive s- symptoms are, um, you know, the, the the symptom that we people come back to us most uh, to talk about actually, and, and to help with uh, like irritable bowel, with bloating, with indigestion and heartburn, nausea, abdominal pains, and of course we always say to go, and, you know, get those checked out by your medical pr- practitioner, make sure there's nothing serious going on. But a lot of people suffer with these things chronically ongoing. They are taking, you know, um, over-the-counter medicines um, for them and, you know, just think they're just sort of having to manage it. And, yes, um, a lot of people then, you know, take take a test and actually find out more and realise that it is the diet impacting them. And, a lot, you know, a lot of people, you know, just either do nothing with, you know, they carry on <laughs> taking taking things and uh, think that's normal for them um a lot uh, and other people you know guess try and guess what they're what's happening for them and they say right i'm going to go gluten-free or i'm going to change my diet here and maybe do things in quite an extreme way um with you know without any evidence um a lot of you know some people try and remove foods from the diet in a in a structured way you know take one thing out maybe not have cow's milk for a few weeks see if you feel better then if you don't feel better try a different food um and I, I think what we find at York test is that on average people that do have positive reactions have on average about four or five different reactions so it means that it's quite difficult to actually determine your own we call it like a food fingerprint so it's quite often quite difficult to find that out without testing and then, you know, what we provide is um, a strategy, a diet, a diet, a strategy for elimination diet. Rather than all this guesswork or not doing anything, we give people a few pointers and options, a little route map. We're not diagnosing anything or, you know, claiming to treat anything, but we just give people some pointers and say, your body's reacting to this. I think uh, it's time to take stock and have a look at your diet and take these out um, for a while. And in you know having a break from the foods i think you know things like digestive enzymes and probiotics do have a role in trying to rebalance your gut uh, and help give yourself a little bit of help um, along the way well i like what you said about taking a break from food because mm. you know sometimes we come overwhelmed at the thought oh i'm never going to eat that again i love mm. that i'm going to miss that and if we tell ourselves you know what I'm just going to take a break from th- for 30 days. Yeah. And then, it, then at the end of the 30 days, maybe you find out, you know, I didn't miss it near as much as I thought I would. I think I'll take another break for another two weeks. Mm-hmm. And then, then maybe you can say, okay, maybe I'm going to eat it once every two weeks instead of once every other day. Is that an applicable strategy? Yeah. It, it really is. Um, I found this with I was very highly reactive to cow's milk, and uh, and I I do think it's 
I think when people start to change the diet, as I did and take took the cow's milk out of my diet, I suddenly thought, wow, gosh, my, you know, I feel so much better. I've got more energy, my body shape's normalising to something that I think is more me. I'm, you know, I'm getting, not getting my digestive problems anymore. And, you know, why would I want to go back to that when that's how I'm feeling now? And after a few weeks, usually a few weeks, um, you know, as you say, you might want to try it, try it, try it for 30 days and then see. And then you'd want to carry on if you, you know, people want to carry on if they're feeling better. Now, and you know, once you've had that break, I think after about three months and you've, you know, you're looking after your diet a bit better and eating things that are more appropriate for you, then you can start to try and reintroduce. Um, food intolerances and sensitivities aren't necessarily for life. And I can tolerate uh, cow's milk now in tea or coffee, uh, but I wouldn't choose to have cheese or a lot of, you know, milky puddings or ice cream. I just don't really want that anymore because I know that it'll impact me and I don't miss it at all now. It, I missed cheese for a long time, <laughs> about two years I missed cheese. <laughs> and I sometimes have a little bit and it's nice, but I, I don't have a lot. <laughs> Well, and I think, you know, what you're saying is if, if you really understand what's going on in your body, take mm. a test, get the data, understand the data and experiment with it. You know, take a break, let your body heal, let your body, let that inflammation calm down. And then you might be able to introduce it on a special occasion. It's my birthday. I think mm. I'll have cheese or yeah. yeah. But it, instead of becoming, making it just a, and this is what I see a lot of my of clients at the Brain Performance Center do when it comes to change, it's all or nothing, you know, and all or nothing may be or may not be what you have to do. And it all or nothing may create more stress for you than it's worth it, because the whole point is to calm the body down, calm every single part of the body and I mean the gut's your second brain you can calm the gut down you're going to calm that brain down yeah absolutely are and it's really interesting I was just before I came on actually I was looking at some of the recent data on um, you know the links between um, food IgG and leaky gut and um, factors such as your mental health and depression attention deficit mood states anxiety and, you know, there have been some studies now showing that you certainly that um, food IgG is a marker for leaky gut, um, but also that, that that leaky gut and actually you can talk about leaky gut, but you can also talk about leaky blood brain barrier as well, actually, in, in the same context. And I think that there's, you know, some good evidence now that um, of the way that uh, you know, this this food reactions to food, food sensitivities can not only impact things like your gut. A lot of people think, oh, food intolerance is all about gut symptoms, but that it comes out in lots of different ways, the inflammation right across your body. And it can be different for different people. We all have our weaknesses in terms of, you know, symptoms that we might get. And it might be, you know, a migraine or it might be that that feeling really low um, and 
you know, low energy, um, but feeling down as well. And, you know, that that's something that we we there, there have been some studies uh, in Poland, actually. And also I've, I've written about it myself, but also people that come to York just let us know that they feel feel better uh, and uh, lighter in mood and, and have more energy, too. I think you're right. The minute that you start feeling better, mm-hmm. that sends a powerful message that, you know what, I like this a lot better than I like cheese. Mm-hmm. I I love to get up in the morning and have the energy that I need instead of waking up dreading the day. How am I going to get through you know, the morning? So I think that that's very encouraging when you can see the benefits. How, so let me ask you this. Let's say you're allergic to something. How long do you need to have it out of your diet before you will feel better? Yeah, I think um, allergies are different. I mean, allergies are the old, you know, that immediate reaction that we talked about with the IgE antibodies. So um, obviously for an allergy, you've, you've really got to avoid that food for life, your peanut allergy, because it could be life-threatening. But for your food, food sensitivities and food intolerance, I mean, we did a big study. Um, we published it some years ago now, but it was the largest study still of its kind. And we actually took 5,286 subjects that changed the diet according to the IgG test. And um, and we actually monitored them all the way through, you know, with their dietary changes and, and you know, that sort of levels of um, how they felt and how it, the feelings linked to, you know, what they were eating and food diaries, etc. Um, and we actually um, we showed that for people that had a, you know, a really good response and were compliant in the diet and had a good response to the diet and felt better. Um, 68% of those actually felt better within about three weeks. So, um, and they were tended to be the sort of energy levels, um, digestive symptoms. The skin symptoms took a bit longer, but, you know, that's quite quick. <laughs> and um, the interesting thing about the study was that, you know, overall, out of all, every, everything about um, our figures was 76% of people uh, fed back that they felt a moderate to high benefit uh, from changing their diets, and, and we've collected statistics. I mean, this was back. I published this back in 2007, but we've collected data at York Test every year. We review it twice a year in our, our um, quality uh, management review, and um, we've you know we've collected many thousands of data points now. And the interesting thing was that you know people that took the test and took things out of the diet that were highlighted by the test if they reintroduced them back too soon you know about over 90 percent of people would get a reaction again showing that the test had actually shown the right you know the right things but obviously when you've left it after three months or more um when people start to reintroduce gradually you know everybody's different so some people have to take that food out longer term like me, I can take a little bit of cow's milk, you know, I can tolerate that again. And, uh, you know, other people can can start to tolerate a little bit more, but it's it's then finding out what's what's right for you and everybody's different. Well, everybody is different. And, and I know I work with clients that are trying to come off a medication 
Mm-hmm. And there's different, and I'm not licensed to manage meds. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, my advice to them is, is whoever puts you on those medications needs to be the one to take you off because mm-hmm. there's different right. ways to do it. Does that philosophy hold true with foods as well? Yeah, I, th- I think, you know, it's always it's always important to be supported with any sort of dietary changes that you make. And, and um, we at York Test, you know, have, uh, nutritional therapists available to support um, with any dietary changes made, and, and we that is is part of our offering uh, for children anyway, as as routinely. But the, we we do believe that people should always feel supported, and and that um, you know you're right in saying that if you, you know if you're going to change your diet, um, you you need that support. And sometimes that support's got to come from the person sitting next to you at the dining room table. <laughs> Very much so, absolutely, because it, it's got to be a group effort, effort really, a team effort, um, as with your friends and family, to um, to sort of help you. And you know, for we 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 hear this a lot actually, and we hear this from um, you, you know also that you know, people that are changing the diet, particularly in children, we, you know, we, we, when we hear back from parents about, you know, how hard it was maybe to, for, you know, for them to change the diet with, with the child and, you know, um, you know, to suddenly see that child feeling better. I mean, we had a, a lovely case study from a, a, ni- a mother of a nine-year-old who contacted us about uh, her son who'd had nine-year-old son who'd had uh, eczema uh, for six years and really severe um, had to take time off school couldn't go swimming um, and it you know affected their, their whole life as a family and um, you know by changing uh, Reggie's diet you know they were able to uh, to really help him and uh, and you know, and and help him with it, you know, his skin clearing up. But that that took a, you know a family effort because it was hard for them. You know, um, his mum fed back that you know it was really challenging. The whole process was really challenging at first, but as soon as they got used to it and the change of the diet and could see the difference, you know, it, you know this the the it, their little boy, you know, had, could sleep without itching, you know. And you know, wasn't waking up all night, um, and and support as well from nutritional therapist um, enabled them to 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 move forward as a family and uh, to, to feel a lot better. So it's stories like that 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 make you realise that yes, it is it is a team effort. <laughs> it's it's about everybody working together. Well, and I think that when you see that, that would be motivating for me. Mm. If I could help one of my children, Mm. sometimes I think it's easier for us to do things for other people than it is to do them for ourselves. (laughs) Very much so. And that can be, that can be very, very motivating. You know, when I look at, when I think, you know, the skin, that's the largest organ that we have. And when you've talked about the eczema, it makes me think that probably everything, because I know a lot of times allergies, um, I have a real allergy to some pesticides. And if, oh, I, yeah. if I eat strawberries that 
or from some place that the pesticides don't agree with me, I get a red rash all over my face. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's nasty. Yes. Well, I've learned I don't need them. (laughs) (laughs) I don't need them. When I think about food and I think about intolerances and it, it can be confusing because Hey, could you be in, could your body have an intolerance to something that you ate and not even know it? Yeah, I, I think that's right. I, I think a lot of people either, well, they just think what they, what, how they feel is normal um, for them. And therefore, um, they would quite often not know that they, they might have a, uh, an intolerance or sensitivity going on in their body, and it w- it's not until they change, the, find out what's going on for them, and then change the diet that suddenly they feel better. I mean, I was part that was partly me because I didn't really think that my digestive problems and low energy would. I just thought I was a busy young mum <laughs> years ago, and um, to to then take the York test and the IgG test and uh, think oh gosh my cow's milk is really high um I think I better try and change that um and then to to sort of see how I felt after that was you know I think so a lot of people do won't know it's different with an allergy because obviously you have that severe immediate reaction and it's quite clear to link the two but there you know there are you know there are other types of food intolerances as well that people might have there's you know lactose intolerance how you react to milk sugar um, and that can cause digestive problems um, also things like celiac disease so you know your gluten reaction which is you know severe and needs medical attention so you know there's other things that are going on for people as well well I'm surprised that the s word has not come up before now because sugar Sugar is a neurotoxin. And I was talking with a, a client earlier today, actually, and she told me that we were just having a general conversation, but she told me that when she took sugar out of her diet, that it improved. She had been having some problems with her eyes. And when she took t- sugar out of her diet, her eyes improved. She said her, her eye doctor was just blown away. Just, you know, I've never seen this. What he was just amazed. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, sugar is, is so linked to obviously diabetes. And I mean, diabetes is uh, type 2 diabetes is, is strongly linked to, you know, um, diet. And there, you know, a, a lot of people struggle with them for processing sugar um, because their pancreas uh, and, you know, can't, can't manage that anymore um so well and you know obviously diabetes is linked to eye problems and all sorts of other problems and that you know sugar is therefore uh, in, in you know, encouraging um diabetes also is linked very strongly to inflammation and that all works around in a big circle back to you know inflammation through the body so if that's going on for you as well as your food intolerances and sensitivities then you've got this sort of vicious circle vicious spiral really that you need to sort of unravel and try and get to to go the other way and um 
you're changing your diet, whether it's sugar, whether it's your food intolerances and sensitivities is is really what you need to do. I think, well, um, yeah. When you put it in terms of, you know, medical conditions like mm. this eczema, psoriasis, and mm. uh, with her, her eyes, what about with cholesterol? Because mm. that's that's something that a lot of people are, have uh, a difficulty with. They'll have, you know, their good cholesterol will be good, but their bad cholesterol mm. is good, too. Mm. What can they, it, could that be related to any type of food intolerance? Yeah, I, th- I think, again, because, you know, I, I mean, your you cholesterol, people talk about measuring cholesterol, but there's, there's so many different markers, as you say, there's the good and the, the not so good cholesterols and your triglycerides. And I think, again, that's all linked back to inflammation. Um, and inflammation in your body is, is not a good thing. So if you've got a high cholesterol level, you really need to know about it. You really need to start thinking about your diet and ways that you can manage that down. Um, it, equally with things like your, you know, your inflammation markers, your, you know, your CRP as well as your diabetes markers, they're all really important health tests. Well, this um, is, you know, this has been such a great show mm. for for a lot of for a lot of people just to learn that it's all, you know, it's all interrelated. And we've just yeah. got a couple of minutes left, mm. and I'd like for people to understand if they've if they have a level of concern that they didn't before. How do you get more information about the test, the York test? So you can get much more information about the York test if you go to York test, Y-O-R-K-T-E-S-T, yorktest.com forward slash US. We're actually giving a great discount at the moment for for your listeners in your head. If you actually use the, the code in your head, uh, at the checkout, you get a 25% discount. Um, and that will give you all the information that you need and also, you know, contact as well if you wanted to talk to somebody about it um, and an email address to contact as well. So that that's uh, yorktest.com forward slash US. Thank you. That's in that. And thank you so much for the discount for our mm. listeners. That's such a lovely gift. And that's made me thinking, hmm, maybe I need to look into that. Um, and really, for, I, from a cholesterol standpoint, that question was all about me. So <laughs> I've learned that it's that they're so it's so interrelated. And I I can't tell you how much I appreciate you joining us today and just being open and transparent and and letting people know that it doesn't have to be a really painful, invasive process. It can be pretty easy to find out if you do have a food allergy or a food intolerance and that there's only one person really that's in control. And for, for myself, that's me. I have to make the decision to change my diet, I have to, which or change my lifestyle, whatever it is, I have to make that decision. And but the good news is that in three weeks, I might be feeling a whole lot better. Three weeks goes by so quick, and mm-hmm. for me, I mean that's that was very very encouraging. So it's it's been a great hour. Thank you so so much for being with us. And sharing everything that you know, Dr. Hart. Thank you. 
Richardson and the Brain Performance Center, we want to thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more episodes like this, visit us on iTunes, Google Play, TogiNet, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and thebrainperformancecenter.com. 